We're in a series called Advance, and we've been talking about growing in the Lord and how to grow, how to move forward in God's kingdom. And we've been kind of taking a backwards approach because that's how Jesus lays it out. And it, it seemed like everything in the kingdom of God, if you want to go up, you have to go down. You know, it's opposite. And that's what kind of we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And we've looked at the life of uh, King Saul. And we looked at the life of King David. And we're going to look a little bit different direction. We're going to actually look at what this all is based on. And it's Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that was James and John. They were brothers, uh, two disciples of Christ, two of the twelve. They were uh, brothers the sons of Zebedee, and Jesus ended up nicknaming them the, the sons of thunder because they were a little bit uh, aggressive. They had a lot of ambition and had a lot of energy. So their mother is here, verse 20, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something and said to her, and he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. Jesus is with the twelve. No telling what they're doing. You know, busy about the Lord's work, maybe healing people. Maybe they've been walking for a while. Jesus only had a three-year ministry, so he was pretty busy. He didn't waste a lot of time. You know, maybe they, they're, they're, you know, busy doing ministry. And, you, and then the mom of these two come up to him and tap Jesus on the shoulder um, Lord, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. But I just, I had one little thing I just needed to bring up to your attention. And it was about my sons here. I wanted to see if when you got into your kingdom, you know, because they're still thinking earthly kingdom. So I want to see when you got in your kingdom and, you know, that throne thing, when you got that throne, I, there's probably going to be a couple chairs on either side. And I wanted to see if possible that my two sons, Mike, could sit there. I wanted to see how you'd feel about that. That's kind of the scene that's going on there. First of all, how many of you have ever heard of a helicopter parent? <laughs> I don't know how old these men are. They're disciples of Jesus following him around, and their mother is following behind them. I don't know if she's got like a bag with tissue and, you know, wipes and stuff still in it. I don't know, but she's following them around. And has the nerve and the audacity to go up to Jesus and, a and ask for this. Now, you can imagine the other disciples' reactions. They're just like, they're ticked. They're like, what? You guys are something, man. I never liked y'all in the first place. Now I know why. You know, they're aggravated. This whole scene is just funny. So she says, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. And he was right. She, she didn't really even understand what she was asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? In other words, there's a price that has to be paid to get what I'm about to get, you know, and what I'm about to obtain. And you don't know anything about it. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he's going to use this to teach them a lesson. Now, remember what we're talking about, because we're talking about, for us, how do we advance and go forward in the kingdom of God? And as a pastor, I have opportunity to talk to a lot of people that are interested in doing things for God, moving forward with God. There's a lot to be done in the kingdom of God, and sometimes our mentality is wrong about this. So Jesus is going to give us a big revelation here. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So lord, the word lord here literally means to control, subjugate, or exercise dominion over. So he says, on earth, when people are given authority and they're given power, They have a sin nature, and that sin nature typically leads them to use that authority and use that power to rule over others, to control others, to exercise that authority really in a selfish way, to lord it over them. And he says, and they're great ones, talking about the ones on the earth, they're great ones, they exercise authority over them. That word authority means the same thing, really, to control or to bring under the power of another. And How many of you know that this has been the story throughout human history, right? The man exercising authority over other men, over other people. When somebody gets power, it doesn't even matter if they start out right. When someone gets power, they end up using it to lord over and they they end up using it to, to take authority over another person. And what's at the root of it? It's very simple. Uh, when I lead, I can either lead for your benefit or mine. That, that's really what's at the root of it. Like I can, when I get power and I get authority, I can make decisions that benefit me and, and harm you, or I can, make benef- I can make decisions that benefit you and harm me. Because a real leader, real leadership is sacrificial. So when a, when a leader truly leads, it's going to actually cost them. It may help others but it's going to cost them their time, their energy, their money in order to benefit others. That's what he's talking about when he says serve. He's not talking about that a leader has to be subservient or, or under or not ever tell anybody else what to do. That's not what he's meaning at all. He's talking about how you use power and authority. Do you use it to benefit yourself or do you use it to benefit other people and to serve others? Do you use it in service of others. You see, this is why democracy was cre- created in the first place. The idea of democracy is totally different than a dictatorship or, you know, totalitarianism, anything like that, because that's how a normal authority was used. And democracy was created in a response to that because they knew what Jesus was talking about here firsthand, right? The founding fathers of this nation, they'd experienced. Uh, people using authority to rule over them, to lord it over them, right, for their own benefit at the cost of the people. So they created democracy with this idea that no one would have that much power or that much authority to be able to lord it over someone else. Why? Because humans can't be trusted. Sin can't be trusted. Uh, a human being, this is the tendency of human beings. So you can't give a person that kind of authority and that kind of power or inevitably they will always use it to benefit themselves while harming the people that they're supposed to be serving or leading. So democracy was created and it's not a perfect system. But what it does is it mitigates this tendency. 
it, it mitigates this tendency of human beings to lord over and to control other people. And the point, the way the democracy is set up is that we elect representatives. And the representative is there to represent not his own interests or her own interests, but to represent the people. That's the, that's the goal. I, see, I know some of you are looking at me like, uh, I don't know if it works like that. Well, that's how it's supposed to work, okay? But the representative is supposed to re- represent the will of the people. It's, they're not supposed to represent their own, their own interests. Now, I understand it doesn't, it doesn't work like that uh, all the time, but it's one of the better systems that we have found, and this is not a p- political message or anything. We're going to get back on topic in just a minute. It's not a perfect system, but the reason it was created was because what Jesus said here is true. It was created to try and figure out how do we give people authority and power without it hurting the very people that gave it to them or the people that, that uh, they're supposed to be benefiting. One historian made uh, this statement, which I thought was so funny. They said, any American who is prepared to run for president should automatically, by definition, be disqualified from ever doing so, which seems counter intuitive, but here's the point that he was making. If you have a desire to be president, you're automatically disqualified. (laughs) I don't know if y'all got what I was saying there. Here's what they're saying. That desire by itself is disqualifying. What is it in you that thinks and wants to rule over so many other people? How must you view yourself to think, I should be president? That's kind of what the point he was making. And why? And, you, you know, that's kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek. But the point is, usually a person who thinks they're ready to lead and they're wanting to lead and they're wanting to be o- over others, it's actually telling you something about them and what's going on in their, in their heart. Because what motivates people to lead? What motivates people to take power and authority over other people? It's one of two things. It's either the desire to serve others or the desire to serve self. That's what's motivating them. And, I, and far too often do we find the real motive of a person, even when, they ha- when it looks like their motive is to serve others, their motive was really to serve themselves. Jesus knew this tendency in the human heart. And he's trying to get us as believers to understand it's not supposed to be this way with you. You're going to have this tendency. It's going to creep up because it's part of the human condition. But he said, I want you, and and you see it creeping up in James and John right here. Why do they want to sit at the right hand of God? So they can have more power to benefit others? Or are they just thinking about themselves? Of course. We know they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about others at all. So people want authority or power generally for one of two reasons. Look, and I'm I'm not saying that every person who leads or has power or pursues that has a wrong heart or wrong motive. It's just they have they have one of two, and you gotta figure out which one it is in you. People want to lead, they want to have power, they want to have authority for one of two reasons: to lift others up or to lift themselves up. And sometimes it's a mixture of both. Sometimes it depends on what day you catch them on. Sometimes it changes from month to month, year to year. It's an ebb and a flow. Right now, I'm more focused on serving you. And then I start to see where I could do with this power. And then I'm more focused on serving me. And then sometimes 
it comes decision by decision. I, it's really hard to make this decision because it's going to benefit you, but it's going to hurt me. But if I make this one, it's going to help me and hurt you. Which one do I go with? So it's not just like a person has all ugly motives or all right motives, but you got to understand that in your life, whatever desire you have to be lifted up, okay, whether that be lifted up financially, lifted up in success, lifted up in being over others, reaching for that new position, whatever it is, one of two things is motivating it. Desire to lift yourself up, desire to lift other people up. I think a lot of people start out for the right reasons, and they want to go into, they want to go into say, politics or something like that because they want to make change and they want to help others. The challenge, though, is to keep it that way and to keep that being the desire. It's funny because these motives always end up being revealed, usually. Whatever a person's motives are, they, they usually always end up being revealed. Sometimes in church, in church life, uh, you know, people get offended over stuff. You know, whatever. People get offended. Church people get offended over stuff. It happens. Uh, and it's, it's sometimes it's interesting what church people end up getting offended over. Like sometimes uh, people will be offended over... Uh, you know, they didn't get to do what they wanted to do. They didn't, maybe they didn't get chosen for something. Maybe they got overlooked. You know, they, they did something and no one thanked them. No one appreciated them or they feel like they have this uh, gift or talent and it's not being used and, you know, all of these things. And so sometimes as a pastor, I've had the pleasure of having these conversations with people. And we always, it always, come in, it always ends up coming back to something about what we're talking about this morning. I, you know, for example, if someone says, well, uh, I always like to pick on the praise and worship team. So it's because they're up front all the time and they have all the, you know, fame and uh, notoriety and everything. But, you know, if someone says, well, uh, you know, I don't get to sing and I, I want to sing more or something like that. I go, Why? Why? Just just hang with me for a minute, okay? Just hang with me. Why? Why do you want to sing? Well, I mean, I just have this gift, and I, I've never once heard to bless the people. That, I've never heard that. Never had that. Anytime I've had these conversations with people, the benefit of the people never comes up. You know why? Because it's 100% always about the person. If they're offended, they're upset, they're bothered. Why? It has nothing to do with people. It has to do with you as, a, as an individual because that was your motive for doing that. And so you have to check that. You have to watch that because, you know, sometimes the, the reason that our gifts and our talents and our abilities are given to us, and if God's given you any power or authority or influence, it's not for you. It's not for you. It's for people. It's for serving other people. So anytime a person is offended... It's revealing something in their heart. It's revealing something that's going on in here. You, ha you are seeing something wrong or you are expecting something that you had no business expecting. You, you had an unrealistic expectation or your, your motives were, were off. So when you're offended, it's revealing something about what's going on in, in here. See, this is the reason why most people quit things that they're doing if they're doing it for the wrong reason. Let me try to explain uh, a motive and what, what a motive really is, okay? If we talk about a motive, 
a motive is compiled of a bunch of different aspects. Like, it's really hard to look at someone and say, well, you have the wrong motive. What we're really saying, if we say that, is your motive is comprised mostly of wrong, wrong motives. In other words, wrong, wrong motivation for that. But most of the time, a motive is comprised of partially good, partially bad. There could be several reasons why a person wants to do things. And here's what I found out about God. If you'll hang out with God long enough, here's what he'll do. He'll take your motive, and he'll begin to reveal it to you. And he'll strip part of it away, and he'll say, here's, here's the reason why you want to do that. And he'll take that piece, and you'll go, oh, my gosh, I never saw that. I never realized that's why I wanted to do that. And so you go, okay, well, now I'm going to do it for the right reason. And then you keep moving forward, and he peels off another piece, and he goes, here's why you want it. Here's still why you want to do it. Here's what's motivating you now. And he'll keep stripping off parts and breaking pieces and showing it to you until you're, all you're left with is something that's about the size of a nickel. And he'll say, now that what's left is love for other people. And, and the reason why, <laughs> oh man, you got to stay with me on this. And the reason why you want to quit now is because I stripped all these other things off that was motivating you. And what you have left is so small and so minuscule that it's not enough to motivate you to get up every day to do it. But he can work with that. If you let God work in you in that process, he'll begin to strip off every one of these things he's talking about in this passage right here. See, he's talking, he says, you're not even qualified to lead until you've gone through this process. You're not qualified to be at a place where you have authority and power over others until you've gone through this process of your motives being stripped and your motives being purified and letting God take you through this process. And I think I, I, just talking to most people, I feel like so many people are blinded to this that they, they can't see their own motive, they can't see their own heart until they, until they spend time with God and they let God begin to work it, work it out in them. And I've encountered a lot of people that they're like, well, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And, or they want to quit. They want to stop doing what God's asked them to do or maybe volunteering in the church. or do. Because what happens? Well, you start out doing things for one reason. And then when those motives uh, are not met and you find out there's a little more work involved in this. And there's a little more sacrifice involved in this. And the, the, uh, the gratification I thought it was going to give me really isn't that great compared with the sacrifice and the work. Then... People are ready to, ready to quit and lay it down. But when you have the right motive going in, so when you have the right motive going in and you're doing it for the right reason, you were doing it to serve others, you knew it was going to be sacrifice, you knew it was going to be work, then that'll sustain you. But wrong motives won't sustain you because you usually don't get out of it what you want. And so wrong motives won't sustain you. It's short-lived. You think, well, this is going to... This is going to make me feel better about myself. I'm, I get to be somebody important. People are going to know my name. I'm going to be up in front of people. I'm going to have power. I'm going to have influence. I'm going to have achieved that status or that success. But it'll never do for you what you want it to do anyway. You'll never get out of it what you really want. And so a lot of people end up quitting because those motives weren't right. But when you, get, when you let God get your motives right and get your heart right, it'll sustain you for a long period of time. There are certain, I use the church as an example a lot because that's what I do. 
And many of you maybe be, you know, maybe you're in business or something else and you got to apply it to your situation. But I'll say this about the church world. There are certain positions in the, the church, volunteering base in the church, that there's no question if a person has the right motive because there's nothing else possibly they could get out of it. There's nothing, there's nothing for them to get out of it. Like I'm going to say, I wish they were in here and we could all clap for them, but I wish about like our, our volunteers that work in the children's department, like every one of them are doing it for the right reason, okay? Every one of them because there's, no, there's nothing else they could get out of it. There's no, there's no other you know, notoriety or anything else that they could get out of. There's nothing for self they could get out of you know, wiping, I mean, changing diapers. There's nothing else they could get out of it. So you know they're doing it for the right reason. There's other things, though, you have to question a person's motive. Anything that's going to lift another person up, anything else that's going to put someone over something, anything that's going to put someone else in front of other people, now there's other motives that come into play. There's other, lots of places, though, it's like, man, if a person's doing that, they have, they couldn't possibly have any other motive because there's nothing but work and nothing but sacrifice on their end. And this is what Jesus was talking about. So he was trying to explain to him. He said, look, the majority of people want power and authority for all the wrong reasons. He said, but it's not supposed to be this way with you. It's supposed to be different. Verse 26, he says, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great or whoever wants to be great among you, whoever wants to be lifted up, okay, whoever wants to be great among you, must be your servant. Why? Because that process is what's going to qualify them for greatness. It's that process of serving others that humbles you and works out all the other wrong motives. It's like, it's the reason why, this is kind of a, kind of a joke, but it's why if somebody comes and says, oh, I want to sing or I want to preach, we go, oh, perfect, but we don't have a need for that right now. But here's what we do have a need for. Back in the back with the kids. Oh, well, I just, and then someone said, well, I just, I'll do anything. I just want to help. I just want to serve. I've had people tell me, man, anything you ask me to do, I got to tell this story. Okay, I got to tell this story because it helps illustrate this point. I had a guy when we first started this church. He's not here anymore. And let this be a warning to you because if you, if you tell me something that makes me laugh and then you, I'm just going to end up in a sermon, all right? I'm just <laughs> warning you now. But, I had this, we had this guy when we first started the church, very, 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 very early. Matter of fact, we had just got in this building. And this guy had been a, a pastor at one time. I, I don't really know his story. I didn't know him very well, but he'd been a, he said he'd been a pastor. And so we were having a meeting of people to help, uh, you know, volunteer different areas and things like that. And he, in his words to me, he said, he said, Pastor Josh, he said, listen, I've done everything in the church. I've done everything. He said, I've preached. I've sang. He said, I've, I've cleaned toilets, I've been usher, done kids ministry, I've done everything. So whatever you need me to do, you let me know and I'll be happy to do it. I don't care how small it is, I don't care what it is, I'll be so happy to do it. And as a pastor, do you know how many times I've heard that? At that time, I hadn't heard it many times. Do you know how many times I've heard that since I've been a pastor? More times than I can count. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. But this particular guy said that, and because I was young in the ministry, I believed him. <laughs> and so we were having a meeting about that, uh, helping. And this guy 
So I put him over some. I think it was like the ushers or something. We needed help. We didn't have anybody doing ushers. I said, hey, would you do this? Within 10 minutes, I mean, not, didn't even have time to leave the building and think about it. Came down to me at the end of the meeting. He said, I, I can't believe that you asked me to do that. He said, after everything I've done, do you know how much experience I have? He said, I've done all this. And I, and I looked at him. I said, man, I, you told me this, this, and this. I just thought that's what you meant. He said, no. I, he said, I can't believe that's what you... He left. They never came back. I said, hey, uh, we'll chalk that one up to lessons and experience right there because I, you know, who would have thought? But I've had it happen more times than you can imagine. I've had, look, I've had people sit in my office and tell me, God called me here. God spoke to me to be here. I would, I would give you the shirt off my back. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. Two months, they're going nowhere to find them. Had it happen more times than, than uh, I care to say. Is that, why are you saying that? You mad about it? Not at all. Not one bit about it. Because you know why? We're doing this to serve the Lord. It doesn't matter to me. That's not the point. The point of it is, is that this is in the heart of people. And, and motives are in the heart of people. And it's really difficult to tell what's in the heart of a person and what's in their motives. And you can't always judge it by what's coming out of this. This, there's a lot of this. That don't mean much. A person's motive and, and what's in their heart is revealed over time. And so Jesus said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And you can find out real quick what's in a person's heart by putting them in a place of serving others. Because if they're, if they're in it for any other reason, they won't last there for very long. Because serving is humbling. Serving takes humility. And if you have pride or arrogance or other aspirations, it, it won't last for very long. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, I think this is more than what meets the eye when you read this passage. I don't think this is saying uh, only what we have thought that it meant. I don't think this is saying only that if the, the way to use power and authority is to serve. That is true, of course, and that is a big part of what's being said here. I also think, though, he's talking about a process that will develop you. Because he says, whoever wants to be great, this is the prescription for them. Whoever wants to be something powerful and great, he goes, this is what they need. They need to be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you needs to be your slave. Because that is the only thing that will break this in them. That is the only thing that will heal them of these wrong and ugly self-serving motives. So when you sense that desire, well, I want to be this, I want to do this, well, the answer for you is you need to go serve somebody. You need to go take a, a, a place of service for someone else. And that will help cure that sickness of pride on the inside of you. And he says, just take my example. He says, because the Son of Man didn't come to be served. 
He didn't come to elevate himself. He came to serve other people, make himself a slave, and to serve others. The irony of Jesus' statements are that usually the ones who don't want to lead and will do what he's talking about, usually the ones that they don't want anything to do with leadership, they don't want anything to do with being in front of people, they don't want anything to do with leading other people, they just they really mean when they say, I just want to serve, I just want to help, I just want to be a blessing. Those are the people that end up leading. It's, it's crazy, but it's how the kingdom of God works. I, as a pastor, again, I don't know how many times I've had people come and say that and mean it and say, I don't want anything, I don't need to do anything. I don't like being in front of people. I don't like, I just want to serve, help, work. And then you give them little things to do and they do it and they do it and they're faithful. And before you know it, God moves them into a place of, of leadership and not just in the church, in, in, their, in their personal lives. Why? Because it's this principle of the people who want leadership the most are the least deserving of it. I don't know if you understand that yet or got it. but And the people who don't want it or have no desire for it are the people that are most qualified. It's the strangest thing. But it has to do with the heart. I don't think y'all got it yet, so I'm going to just keep hammering that home. The people who want it the most are the ones who are least qualified for it. And the people who don't want it are the ones who are qualified. And that's how over and over again you see this in Scripture. How many times did God come to a man of God in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, and he's like, this is what I have for you. And they're like, I don't want that. I can't do that. I can't even talk. I can't. I'm not even. They were low in their own estimation. Their view of themselves were low. Anytime he came to somebody that's like, oh, I can do that. I mean, nothing. I got that. Well, there's your first problem. Because your view of yourself is too high. And that's going to hurt you when you're leading people. But see, those who didn't really want it, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, those are all the ones that ended up being used in the kingdom of God in a mighty, powerful way. These men ended up leading, and they ended up leading well, and they used their leadership in service of other people. Think about poor Moses, man. When I read through Exodus, I just feel sorry for that guy. I mean, he constantly just serving a group of people that were knuckleheads. And he lived his life serving them. Lived his life in service of them. And the one time he hits a rock in the wrong way, he doesn't even make it into the promised land. I mean, man, I feel sorry for the guy. But how many of you know his reward was in heaven? And God had something great for him. He may not have gotten it on this earth. But he, he served a group of people, and he never used his power or his authority to serve himself. He constantly used it to serve a group of people that really didn't deserve it in a lot of ways. It's interesting, too, because as you talk about this stuff, you might come to think, well, because I've heard people say, well, Jesus wants all the glory, and so he'll never exalt a man. Well, that's not true. I mean, think about Abraham. This is what he told Abraham. He said, if you do this, this, and this, and you follow me and you stick with me, he said, I will make your name great. He said that to Abraham. He said, I will make your name great. Well, that's exaltation. He, he says, I'm going to make you famous. But it's after this purifying of your motives. It's after breaking you down and making sure that you're so full of humility that by the time your name is exalted, you don't even care. 
That's a process that you have to go through. Look at Philippians 2, verse 3. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. Paul said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. First of all, what is selfish ambition? This is a big one because this is really the heart of everything we're talking about this morning. What is selfish ambition? Let's start with ambition. You know what ambition is, right? Desire, drive, passion to do any particular thing. You have great ambition. You're a very ambitious person. Okay, well, he says there's a type of ambition, though. It's called selfish ambition. In other words, the thing that's driving all of your exploits, the things that's driving all of your goals and your visions and your accomplishments, he said it's selfish ambition. It's just selfishness that's driving all of that. So Paul said, for a believer, do nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing. Do nothing from or out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is the enemy. How much selfish ambition is in you? How much selfish ambition is in me? How much selfish ambition is in all of us, is in the church world, in believers? Because Paul said, do nothing from it. And when you identify it, don't do anything out of that motive. Okay, when you identify selfish ambition in your life, don't do anything out of it. You, you may need the Holy Spirit to help you see it when it's there. Because we're really good at hiding our motives. We're really good at, we, we know a lot of what I'm saying this morning, so we're really good at painting it a certain way. But Paul said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How many you know that one statement would solve every single marriage problem? Every single one, every single marriage problem, if we just did this, count others more significant than yourselves. Every single marriage problem stems back to this. This is why I say selfishness is the number one problem in marriage. It's not people say, well, communication. Well, yeah, but, it, but the reason communication is a problem because of selfishness. The reason money is a problem because of selfishness. Is that it all goes, the root of it is selfishness. This would solve every single marriage problem if you had a husband and a wife that considered each other and their needs and your opinions and your desires as more significant than mine. So with that, I'm done with all marriage counseling. This is the answer right here. I just, I'm finished. Don't ever call me because I'm just going to point you to this scripture right here. It's so simple. Boy, that was easy. That freed up a lot of time in my schedule. Praise God. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Man, if we did that, what would this world look like? Look at this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equality with God. Uh, He did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped or, or held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, everybody say therefore. See, because he got rid of all selfish ambition, he laid all of that aside, he laid aside, and don't think for one second that Jesus didn't have his own aspirations or own desires. Because when he was in the garden, he prayed that. He said, not my will, God, but your will be done. In other words, I'm, I'm laying my will and my desires and my hopes aside. That's what caused him to leave heaven in the first place. A lot more comfy, a lot more cozy up there. Already had everything he wanted. Didn't need anything else. And because he laid all of it aside, because he counted you more significant than himself, because he was interested in your interests more than his own, he left heaven, came to earth, and sacrificed his life for you. Verse 9, therefore, because of that attitude, because of that sacrifice and that willingness to do that, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, it was Jesus following this, walking this out that qualified him to have the name that is now above every other name. It it was by submitting himself to this process that ended up exalting him. And this is why I've been saying that up is down. This is what God's been trying to get you to understand. If you want something that's up here, I want you to stop going for that. And I want you to look down and go, if I want that, I've got to go here. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus looked at us and he, he saw us as more significant than his own interests and his own desires. And he sacrificed himself for us. <clears throat> and then what happened? Well, God ended up highly exalting him anyway. Think about uh, Solomon. So you see this pattern with, G- with God over and over again. Solomon is on the right track. He's doing good things for God. One night, God appears to him in a dream, and he says, Solomon, I'm going to give you anything you want. Just ask for it. Whatever you ask for, I'm going to give it to you. And he said, look at what he said. It was so powerful. He said, God, this, this kingdom, this nation, this people, he said, they're your people. It's a vast kingdom. My father David has built it up. He said, I'm young. He said, I'll tell you, the one thing I could really use is wisdom on how to lead these people. He said, I, I, I want to do right by them, and I don't have the wisdom that I need to lead them, so I just need wisdom. So the, the, he basically, y'all ever seen that movie Aladdin, and they had the genie with the three wishes? He basically had a l- real-life genie moment where God said, what do you want? And the one thing that he asked for, because I would have asked to be able to have Superman's powers. I've always wanted that since I was a kid, but that would have been hard. God, just give me Superman's power, but I didn't, he didn't ask me that, so... But he asked Solomon, and Solomon said, I want wisdom to lead your people. Wow, that is considering others more significant than yourselves. And I love what God did. He said, really? You're going to ask for wisdom? You're gonna, the, the moment I give you that genie lamp, you're going to ask for something for others? He said, you could have asked for money. You could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for long life. You could have asked for your kingdom to be expanded. You could have asked for rest from your enemies. Because you didn't ask for any of those things, I'm going to give all of that to you anyway. So Solomon got every one of those things in addition. Why? Because up is down. And down is up. And by putting other people's needs ahead of him, he got what he wanted and more by putting others first. And sacrificing his own desires and need. 
See, if you, if you want something that is beyond you, if you want a, a, a title or a position that you don't have, that's, you'd be better off finding somebody that, that already has that and going and serving them. You, if, if you have a boss, I'm just using this as an example because you need to apply it to your situation. But if you have a boss and you want that position, you want their position, you'd be better off than seeking that. You'd be better off figuring out how to serve them and make their life easy and make their job easy and being the most faithful, best employee that they have. Because I can tell you, you're going you're gonna to go miles ahead with God that way than the way the normal world goes about trying to get that, that job and that position. Just apply that in your life. This in, in your marriage. In marriage, if you want something from your spouse, you'd be miles ahead of sacrificing and serving to give them that, the thing that you want to give them that, and letting God bring it about for you. Over and over and over again, we see this principle. This is why the golden rule, as, they, as, as we call it, is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, if you want something, just go do that for somebody else. This is how God works. It's a, it's a law. It's a fact. I, I've told you this story before. I'll tell it again because I've just seen this work so many times. Even, even, uh, even our church. You know, when we were building this building, we were building the, the youth center in the back and all these opportunities. We needed finances. We needed things. Well, we didn't have it, so we took what we had and we went and made it happen for somebody else. I mean, all the missions that we've supported, all the, the churches that we've sown into and helped with their building and helped with their vision and helped with their dream. And then God took care of us. This building's paid for. The student center's paid for. None of, that's a mirror, none of that could have happened. If we'd scratched and fought for what's ours, if we'd scratched and fought for, well, I can't, we can't give them that. We're trying to do our own building project. We can't, we can't get, help them build theirs and, and expand theirs. We've got our own stuff to do. We'd still be trying to pay it off. We'd still be trying to scratch and do because that's not how God's kingdom works. So instead, no, we gave to, and then we let God take care of this. And boy, did he take care of it. He blew us out. of. He blew our minds with what, what he's done. We, me and Jen believed this principle so much. I remember one time when we first had, uh, we first had our children and there was an expensive piece of equipment that we needed for our new baby. It was about three, four hundred dollars, something like that. We had the model picked out. We had, we knew everything. We knew exactly what we wanted, and we could have went and bought it for ourselves. We had the money. It wasn't like we couldn't do it. We we had the money. We were going to go buy it. But there was a girl, uh, a girl in our church, single mom, that had just had a baby before ours, and Jen was still pregnant. And this mom had just had a baby, didn't have a lot of people taking care of it. And me and Jen talked and we said, let's do this. We, we know the principles of God. Let's do this. Let's buy her that, that piece of equipment that we want and need. And let's just believe God to take care of us. That's how much we believed it. We said, let's just buy her this and then we'll just believe God to take care of us. We bought it for her. And listen, before the baby was born, someone gave us the exact model. You can't make this stuff up. The exact model. Didn't ask for it. Didn't God provide it? And I've seen this principle over and over again where just, just serve others, love others, and God will take care of you. You never go wrong with that. You never go wrong with that. So this is Jesus saying, follow this example. 
because he did all of this, because he followed that, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. But see, our generation, we're excellent at exalting ourselves. This may be the most self-exalting generation that I've ever heard of. You ever heard of social media? All it is is a self-exaltation platform. Just a way to highlight everything great about you and about your life. I know, I know, I know we're having fun this morning. Look at my food. Look at my milk. Look at my workout habits. Look at my vacations. Look at my new makeup. Look at me dancing. Look at me singing. Look at, do I need to keep going? All social media has become is a self-exaltation platform. It's a way to constantly exalt self and to show off yourself to everybody else. Now, just because something is widespread and filled with the culture, it doesn't mean that believers ought to be jumping in blindly just the same way. I'm not telling you to get off social media. Not at all. But please be aware of what it is. Please be aware of how you use it. Are you using social media for good purposes? Are you using social media just as a way of exalting self? Because that's not how a Christian ought to be using it. Let's stay on that a minute. Y'all, we're having so much fun this morning. Y'all ever heard of the selfie generation? Yeah, you know about that. I'm not going to tell you about that. What about this? This shocked me. One study found that 50%, this is an enormous number, one study found that 50% of Generation Z and Millennials put being a YouTube star or social media influencer as their top career choice. <laughs> that matches so well with uh, what I've seen. One study had it at 75% of a certain group of, of young people, generation, that said, to be a YouTube star or social media influencer is my number one career choice. What does that tell us about how we see ourselves? <laughs> like, we have, like there's that many of us that have that much important to say that we just need to create our own channel. We've got so much knowledge and information that we just need to create our own channel for people to watch. And that's amazing. But it, it, matches, it matches what Jesus, uh, what the Holy Spirit said through Paul because in 2 Timothy 3.1... We are told this, but know this, that difficult times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self. This was the number one thing he said to look for. That in the last days, people will be lovers of, of self. I love my thoughts. I love what I, how I look. I love, so I'm going to put it out for the world to see. Social media just feeds that loving of self, just loving, loving ourselves, loving what we say, how we look, what we think, my little witty quotes and all of that. It just puts it out there and it feeds this. What, what else, you know, would fit this better when he says in the last days, people will be lovers of self. If that's ever been an issue, it's an issue today. What reveals, I should say, what creates lovers of self more than social media? But see, it's the opposite of the kingdom way. Not social media, but exalting of self. 
First Peter 5, 6. This is the last scripture we're going to read this morning. This is the kingdom way. First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Not you exalt yourself. No, your job, not to exalt yourself, your job is to humble yourself under God's hand, God's timing, God's plan, God's way, God's will. And then when at the right time you've qualified and he's had all these things worked out of you, then he will, what? He will exalt you. You will be exalted. In other words, you'll get eventually where you want to be, but you're going to go there a totally different route because Remember, up is down, down is up. You're going to get there a totally different way when you do it God's process. It's going to be slower because you have a lot more work to do than you realize. It's going to take more time. It's going to cost you more. But in, but in the long run, you'll have true happiness and you'll have true joy. And you'll be truly fulfilled because you did it God's way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In other words, don't be worried about how you're going to get there, how you're going to just do God's way, do God's process, and he'll make sure that you get there. Amen.